Are we there? Ah, we're live. All right. I'm Robert Bordelon Pearson. This is Follow the Leader, and we're doing just my two cents. Today, Jesus was a carpenter. This is important for a couple of reasons, but Jesus was a carpenter. I mean, is he still alive? Obviously, see it uh, on his throne at the right hand of the Father. And so, like, is still, I assume he remembers how to be a good carpenter. Like, this skill set doesn't go away. Um, at the same time, uh, he's got other stuff going on right now. He's kind of changed careers, as it were. Beside the point, though, uh, there's a lot of, in the, in the, I don't know, I, I can't think of another way to do it. I don't mean this as condescending, I just can't think of a way to phrase it. In the crowd that, the pseudo-intellectual, and what I mean by that is people that aren't doing peer-reviewed research papers, right? The people that are just writing Christian books, um, not that their studies aren't as meritous, it's just that sensational things pay them a lot better than accurate research, right? Um, and then somebody cites that one book that got written in a blog article because it sounds unique and fascinating and they're just trying to turn out blog articles every day. Uh, so they take a point from a book that wasn't well-researched and they treat it as fact. And 35 blog articles later, it becomes a fact in interwebland. 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 So what happens, though, is you get a lot of wrong information, is what I'm saying. Not a lot, but occasionally stuff will slip through the cracks where it sounded good. Somebody poses it as a maybe, and now it becomes this weird, well, actually, factoid that comes through the internet. And you'll see it in comments and stuff. I'm not, I'm not taking shots at you, Ryan. I love you, man. It's the best. I just, I'm excited to talk about this. Okay? Because unlike people that write those blog articles that propose these ideas, I spent an actual year of my life where at least four hours a week, if not more, by hand, I transcribed and parsed every single verse in the Septuagint, and in contemporary Greek literature where the word tectone shows up. That's the word used for carpenter, for Jesus. Now to start this out, let's look at Bible translations, right? There are tons of Bible translations out there. Tons of them. And almost every Bible translation, with a rare exception, as a team of anywhere between 20 and 50 scholars working on it that agonize and vote over almost every word of almost every verse. Essentially, every major Bible translation uses the word carpenter in uh, Matthew and Mark. I, I forget the exact references. Uh, Matthew... And Mark are the only two places the word tectone shows up in the New Testament, and there's no context for it that would allow you to know what they do. It just says, is it not Jesus the tectone? Is this not Joseph the tectone's son? And that's it. That's all you get. That does give us one piece of information, okay? That tells us that the meaning of the word tectone is obvious on its face, because both Mark and Matthew Take the time to provide explanatory explanatory notes, explanatory, yeah, explanatory notes 
whenever they say something confusing or unfamiliar to their audience. Uh, Matthew's constantly saying, as was prophesied in Isaiah, and then he gives the Isaiah quote. He doesn't just say, as prophesied in Isaiah. He gives you the quote every time. Uh, both Matthew and Mark make reference to a little explanatory sentence about uh, a, temp uh, a feast to the Jews or something. This was the time of year that they would go up for certain feasts. Uh, not assuming that the audience already memorized the entire feast calendar of the Jewish uh, religion. They give little explanatory notes when they expect the audience doesn't know. So they, they, they both do that, and neither of them bothers to explain or use the word in a way that would allow you to know what it means. They just throw it out there, expecting that the obvious meaning is obvious, right? Because uh, they want their audience to understand, or it's common knowledge for everybody. All right, moving on from that. It shows up all over the Old Testament. All over the Old Testament. And so, every single place it showed up in the Septuagint, I transcribed and parsed the sentence, word by word, for the Greek in the Septuagint, and the Hebrew from the Masoretic text for the corresponding verse, as well as every single place that I still have the notebook for it somewhere. Um, and every single place the uh, the word tectone showed up in a contemporary Greek source. What does that mean? I took Greek literary sources that I could have access to on the internet for free as a random electrician because I don't have fancy college money for stuff, right? So I'm using Perseus Project, which is a wide breadth of literary Greek sources. Uh, and I searched for anything from about 200 A.D. to about 200 B.C. Because this is the language of the day, right? They didn't have the internet. In, in, in just my generation, cool went from cool to cherry to fire to leet or something. Now, I don't know what the kids are using now. There's like four different iterations that all mean the same thing in just like my adulthood now, the kids are using something completely different. It's so rapid with the internet. Uh, but we can still read the King James Version of the Bible. We, we need a different font. The font is insane if you look at, like, original King James. But with an updated font so we know what the letters are, you can read King James English. It's difficult, it's not easy, but most of the words still mean mostly the same thing. And that was from 1611. That's 400 years ago. More than 400 years ago, you can read English. I mean, even with all the, the yeats and the, the, the leets, lit, all the, um, the crazy short vernacular nonsense, you can still understand King James. Uh, it's a little tricky, but it's weird in parts. They use charity in a way we don't use it anymore. Um, but our usage stems from that. I mean, we still use, like, from the skin of our teeth, or it's, more, it's better to give than to receive, and these are all phrases that come from our Bible, the King James specifically for like the, the skin of the teeth and stuff. It's out of Job. Look it up. Anyway, so I wound up with Josephus, uh, a guy named Epictetus, a guy I think it's pronounced Elias. So there were, uh, there were a couple of Stoic, uh, Stoic philosophers, Josephus, and uh, I can't think of anybody. I thought there was Nah, 
All right, so yeah, basically a handful of Stoic philosophers and Josephus. Uh, but they're all from within uh, 200 years of the, uh, the New Testament. This is important because while writing in Greek, whether, you know, I, I don't want to get into side tangent arguments about, well, you know, Matthew was really in Aramaic first, and then we, yeah, find me the documents. Okay, find the documentary fragments for that. Until you do, it's, let's sideline it. In Greek, even still his, uh, now what's the fancy word for the guy who's basically dictating, his scribe? It was um, Emanuensis. So he's, he's Emanuensis, right? It's just the guy who was writing it down for him. I don't know why we need all these fancy words all the time. I, to make it approachable, you know? Uh, so it was Emanuensis. Um, so the guy who's writing it down for him is writing it down in Greek that a, a Hebrew of that day that spoke Greek would understand. And to a large part, ever since the Septuagint had been translated, that was the Bible of the wide majority of uh, Judaism at that time, first century Judaism. Uh, not all, especially the farther you got away from Jerusalem, the less likely you were to know Hebrew. Uh, most of them knew Greek, and that was what they grew up with. So the Hebrew minds, Greek usage is going to default to Septuagint. Now, as I was parsing out the Septuagint, I noticed something. And uh, yes, I know there are different variations of the Septuagint, but by and large, they're, they're mostly the same. I'm not going to get in the weeds on that, but I, I'm aware, I'm familiar of it. I just used whatever, well, that was close. Um, I'm going to use whatever, it was the version of the Septuagint that is on blueletterbible.org. Uh, they're pretty solid, uh, pretty middle of the road. I'm assuming it's the one that has the largest uh, witness from the old ancient manuscripts. Moving on, um, the uh, so in the Septuagint, there's an obvious change in the way it's translated as you go forward. Uh, textual scholars immediately assume it's a different author with a different timeline, a different context, blah, 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 blah. It could easily have been the same guy who just changed his methodology. So early in the Old Testament, the word tectone is used as a synonym for the Hebrew word harash, which is a very general word that means literally any kind of craftsman. Very similar to our English word, craftsman. It means you're good at building stuff, and if you're going to get more information, you need stuff around it, right? A craftsman of wood, a craftsman of stone. So you have these verses that uh, talk about craftsmen. Fun side note, it almost always specifies a craftsman of stone, unless it's talking about the guys who built the temple. Sorry, tabernacle. The guys building the tabernacle are just harash, or Harashim, which is the plural, uh, and they're building the tabernacle primarily out of wood and hide, because it's a tent. Anyway, side note, um, other, other thing that is important, this is critical, a Harash is the craftsman that would have, uh, or no, that's right, it was the method, they don't get used, anyway, right, right, sorry, I'll circle back to it, um, so, throughout the, uh, the Pentateuch, the early part of the Old Testament, uh, the law, the Torah, it is word for word, it's one for one. And you can tell the, the translation scheme the guy used to bring from the Hebrew to the Greek is very form literal, we would say, in English uh, Bible translations. He does word for word, even uh, because Greek lets you do that. Um, he, he keeps it very simple, very plain, very exact to the original wording. Now, as you get farther on into the histories 
uh, Chronicles, Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah. As the word, uh, as craftsman is used, uh, the word craftsman is used, you start getting specialized vocabulary uh, because they talk about building the temple all throughout Chronicles and Kings. And the guys building the temple are a harash of stone and a harash of wood. And now to be more detailed and more precise, the harash of stone has about three different words for Greek in Greek that all explicitly state somebody that works with stone. And the harash of wood gets used as tectone uniformly throughout, anytime because they're paired next to each other, right? You know, lumber and stone, uh, cedars, uh, cedars of Lebanon and stones or whatever were shipped in, as well as many craftsmen of stone and craftsmen of wood. And you have tectone and uh, uh, litholagone is the only one I can think of, which is like like stone logic, litholagone, lithos, uh, stone, and then uh, logos, uh, logic or, or skill or craft. So, uh, but there were there were about two other words, uh, maybe three. I just don't remember them off the top of my head right now. Uh, so yeah, we you've got three or uh, three different vocabulary words that explicitly state a craftsman, one who cuts stone, one who shapes the stone that was cut out of the mountainside, one who places the stone in the wall, uh, the, the, the actual mason themselves. Those are three different Greek words that explicitly require it to be stone. The craftsman of wood the entire time is tectone throughout that whole section. And then we get into the prophets, Ezekiel or Jeremiah and then Isaiah. I think it's Jeremiah and Isaiah. They both constantly use the word tectone to refer to the people that are making idols. And they say he sharpens his axe and he cuts down the tree and he drops his line and they describe the technique that was used up until like the 1800s, by the way, to clear, uh, to, to make beams and timbers. You clean the edges, you drop a line with a chalk line. Um, all wood wood uh, working tools are ancient. The claw hammer hasn't changed for at least two thousand years. So the uh, these are the tectones are the guys building idols, and what do they do? They carve the idol out of wood, and they plate it in gold. Fun fact: that's exactly how the Ark of the Covenant was made out of wood and plated with gold. That's significant. Um, so later on. Where are sorry, not later on. So yeah, well later on, around the zero to 100, 200 or so, you got Elias and uh, Epictetus, and uh, those are the only names I can remember. But there are about three or four others, and then uh, later, around like one fifty to two hundred, you've got Josephus. Uniformly, Josephus used the word tectone for what? The guys that build the temple, the, the tabernacle. Sorry, I keep the guys that build the tabernacle guys that follow around the Roman army and make tools for them, primarily wood handle, and uh, then guys that were uh, at one point building a wall during a siege. You're not going to cut stone agonizingly during a siege to extend the height of a wall. You're going to put up boards and planks, nail them in position and call it a day. Because uh, they're, they're building the battlements as the siege is progressing during the siege of Jerusalem. Um, so that's what we have going on is uh, Epictetus then uses the word tectone at casually, assuming that the reader knows it's a guy who works with an axe. And uh, it's, it's uniformly throughout. He uses it like 20 times or something. It's crazy. 
Uh, so we've got specialized vocabulary for a stonemason in ancient Greek. Uh, we've got nine out of ten times in the Old Testament, Septuagint tectone means a guy who carves wood with an axe. And uh, in the uh, in Josephus, it's a guy that, that makes stuff out of wood or occasionally a guy who makes tools, which is, it makes sense in Isaiah, it's mentioned that he makes his own axe. The tectone makes the axe and then cuts the tree down and then carves the idol and then with half the wood he cooks his meal and the other half he builds an idol. Just Google some of the key phrases slash Bible verse and you'll it'll come up. I don't remember the exact passage off the top of my head, but it should be in Isaiah somewhere and then there's a passage very similar in either Ezekiel or Jeremiah. Uh, I haven't looked at my notes of this before going. This is off the top of my head, man. I spent a year looking at this. So we've got specialized vocabulary if it was a stonemason. Uh, if Jesus was a stonemason. We got special we got nine out of ten times the word tectone means a guy who uses an axe. The New Testament authors use tectone in a way that assumes the audience already knows very naturally what the word means. Now let's get a little more recent, you know, kind of, not comparatively. What do we have? Justin Martyr. He's writing at around 240 or 250 A.D. What? That's almost 100. That's more than 100 years after Christ. Yeah, let's put some stuff in historical context, guys. He was born at around 200. Do you know when the book of Revelation was written? A lot of people think around 94 A.D. So four years after the book of Revelation, the ink is dry on the original copy. Justin Martyr is born. And then grows up speaking and reading and writing ancient Kine Greek as a native. And learns Christianity from what was easily three, he was probably three degrees of separation from the, uh, the original apostles. I mean, at that same time, you got Irenaeus running around who was a pardon me, a student of Polytarch, who was a student of John, I believe. Um, so you've got, with three degrees of separation, maybe four or so, uh, depending on where he's at or who he's learning from, from the original apostles. Knows the language the way you or I know our own mother tongue that we grew up talking to mom and dad in. And you're going to tell me he misread the Greek and didn't know what he was talking about? Justin Martyr clearly states that Joseph and Jesus, by extension, are carpenters that work with wood that build furniture inside of their home shop. He actually paints them the picture of them like building a bed or something inside of the shop at home as he's given a, an anecdote. He's, um, I think it's Dialogue with Trifo. It's, it's one of his apologetic works that he's, uh, he's shooting back and forth with the guy and he throws it out like common knowledge. Now, his whole point in this book is to argue about everything. And they're going back, he's going back and forth with this guy, and he drops, oh yeah, Jesus was a woodworking carpenter, as though there are no dissenting opinions, there are no other arguments or ideas, his whole point, and he doesn't bother to defend it. He drops it as if it was a, well, obviously, and then keeps rolling. Uh, I'm sorry, it's... It's clear that Jesus was a carpenter who worked with wood, might have even been at home working in a shop. Now, where does this idea that Jesus is a stonemason come from? Well, I'm glad you asked rhetorically, because I can't hear you.
This is the internet. That's how that works. And I, I can't read the chat while I'm driving. And be irresponsible. Anyway, Jesus is uh, supposed to have been a mason by a guy whose name I didn't bother to memorize, uh, who wrote a book, the name of which I don't remember, uh, but it was supposed to be about him being uh, like a, a rabbi's perspective of Jesus or something like that, or the, the Jewish ancient context of Jesus or something. Um, you know, classic pop culture book about Jesus. And there's one footnote. If you read all the blog articles, everywhere, it talk, if you just Jesus stonemason, Google search it, every single blog article that comes up mentions the same book. When you dig up that book, the author of the book only mentions it one time in the book, and he has one footnote for that, and that footnote leads to, I, you can't even find it on the internet anymore for the website where the guy's uh, um, book is. It's, a, it's not even a book that was published. It was a self-produced uh, handout booklet, like study booklet, for uh, some random archaeologist guy for uh, tours through the Holy Land. Uh, now, I, I don't want to denigrate the guy, because I don't remember his name, but I remember in looking, he was kind of a big deal when you get into that world and you know all the big names in that archaeology world. So I'm not, I'm not denigrating him, I just don't remember his name. He was, but he was a guy that uh, no one outside of his specialist field had ever heard of, uh, generally would have heard of, and uh, it was in like an unpublished handbill that he just kind of like sold to churches and stuff for 10 and 15 bucks here. Now, I'm not, that's, that's the kind of guy I am. Uh, I'm not saying that it, it, that means it's meaningless, but the only thing in it that it said was some moderate conjecture about the city of Zipporah that it was a, the largest Roman metropolis next to Nazareth and most of the buildings there were stone. Jesus or Joseph would likely have gone there to work and would likely have been stonemasons because all the buildings there are made out of stone. That is kind of a stupid assertion because that's like saying because it's a mining town there are no plumbers. What? No, all you, you literally threw out, you know, probably a hundred Greek references and, you know, thousands of years of church history that everybody has taught that he's a, he's a carpenter because, oh, well, this city nearby has, has a bunch of stone buildings. Uh, yeah, literally everything that's required to put those stones into place is made out of wood. Every chair, every table, you know how you cut stones? You put it on a wood table and you take a hammer with a wooden handle and a chisel with a wooden handle and you, uh, chip, well, I mean, you'd have a, a full metal chisel rather for, for stone, uh, stone working. Uh, so, but your, your hammer's going to do what? Alarm, I don't know what good, uh, the ignore everything button does on my phone, but no good apparently. Um got to be smarter than the phone. I just didn't make, didn't cut mustard. So you put the stone on a wood table. Uh, you've got wood chairs. Do you know how you get the stone in place? You climb wooden ladders on wooden scaffolding to use a wooden pulley to get the stone up into place. Uh, everything in their world is wood. Every bed, every chair. They don't have plastics. Metal is precious, and so it's reserved for weapons and uh, primary tools. Uh, knives, 
saws, hammers. Uh, the claw hammer is basically unchanged for 2,000 years. I think I mentioned that. The, the hand saw is too. Longer than that. You can find ancient Egyptian stuff where they've got a bronze saw and it looks just like, like a Home Depot saw. It's crazy. Hand tools have basically not changed for maybe 3,000 or more years. <clears throat> and uh, so what's happening though is it's it's based entirely on conjecture from one footnote. This is why you follow the footnotes. And when you look at a lexicon and you go, oh, a tectone could mean, and they're like five entries, you don't go, well, nobody could know what it means. It could mean anything. No, those entries are listed by probability. The most likely at the top, the least likely at the bottom. That means the top one has maybe 100 references. The second one might have 20. The third and the fourth may have two or three. So when you see tectone, and then it could also mean, what, like a really good guy, that means the one time in Proverbs where it says, you know, a tectone of righteousness works good or something like that. It's, it's a tectone of compassion. You're crafting good, right? It doesn't mean anytime somebody uses the word tectone somewhere else is just like, I don't know what it means. Um, you know, think about the word smith, right? If I tell you so-and-so is a smith, we know we're not talking last names, right? A smith, what is that? That's a guy who works with metal, usually. You would think blacksmith as a default. Now, if I tell you he's a wordsmith, right? Or, you know, we could do, we get weird with it. We say a woodsmith, a stonesmith. Or I tell you he's just a smith. You assume metal. You could be a goldsmith, a silversmith. So if I tell you, uh, Joe Bob is a smith. What? That could mean anything. What does it possibly mean? Is he an author? No, the default meaning, like nine times out of ten, guy, it means somebody who works with metal, usually iron. Hey, do you not know language? We don't have lexicons in our brain. The words have meanings that are fairly precise when that word is in its proper context, right? Think of the word study. I'm going to study. Uh, if it's a rich guy, you go, oh, the study is a room in his house. If it's a student, you go, oh, they're going to do homework for about four hours and then get distracted and spend the rest of the time on Facebook. Uh, four hours is being generous. Um, the, you know, if it's, oh, I'm going to go study. If it's a scientist, you know they're going to perform, you know, clinical trials or, you know, survey a bunch of people or whatever, however that plays out. Or look at a bunch of other studies and do a cross, uh, uh, I forget, there's a fancy word, a meta-study. That's what it is, a meta-study, right? Uh, these all mean different things. You know, a doctor's study is going to be different from a scientist's study. These are, the, but it's the same word, right? So when someone says, I'm going to go study, you have a context for that person and how they're using that word. They don't have to define it for you. It has one meaning, you know, he's got an ascot and a smoking jacket on. I'm going to study. Oh, you're going to the study. You're going to your big fancy room. Yes. Right? One meaning that makes sense in context by who's using it. So nine times out of ten, a tectone is a guy who works with wood using an axe. Throughout. Now, let's get back to it. How was the Ark of the Covenant made? It was wood overlaid with precious metal. How were idols made? Wood overlaid with precious metal. What did Jesus do from, you know, he starts learning the trade from his dad, probably around age 10 or 11. And at around age 30, Luke says he was about 30, he starts his ministry. So that's like 20 years. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus spent 20 years redeeming the trade that had been defiled by idol makers. The trade that helped 
pardon me, that helped craft the Ark of the Covenant that's supposed to hold the presence of God on earth, the, the tokens of his promises to the Israelites. Jesus spent 20 years redeeming that trade because it had been denigrated and idol makers that caused his people to go into exile and have the temple be destroyed for it. Jesus spent 20 years redeeming that trade, just making furniture for people, taking care of his family. Most scholars agree Joseph died sometime uh, before Jesus begins his ministry. So depending on how early he died, you know who taught James and Jude how to be, uh, how to be carpenters? Yeah, Jesus taught them how to be carpenters. He spent 20 years working to feed his family with the sweat of his brow and the calluses on his hands and taught his brothers to do the same so he could redeem the trade that had caused his people to go astray. That's awesome. And he did that on purpose because he could have been, you know, the son of any son of David. He chose the one who knew how to work with his hands. Uh, that's all I've got for you today. Don't trust my research. Go do your own. Uh, Blue Letter Bible, Perseus Project, and uh, just Google them. You'll find them. They're awesome. And uh, that's it, man. Just slow grind. Tectone is Tau Epsilon Kappa Tau Omicron uh, Omega. Sorry, no. Omega uh, Ni. And that's it. Have fun. Do your own research. Uh, Godspeed. Farewell.